All right. Thanks for coming tonight. So we are in our fifth message on a Christian worldview. Um, I have to start by apologizing to all the sixth graders. So if you're new, you're dropping into a middle of a series we started at the beginning of the year. And I didn't really realize that till like this afternoon with our topic. It's a little heavy. I think you can track along, but just understand you're kind of dropping in mid-movie kind of into the plot line of the series we're doing on a Christian worldview. So I'll try to think about you and, and make sure I, I, I try to explain things to you, what we're talking about tonight. So a worldview is a basic lens, we've talked about this, by which you view the world. It's how you understand and interpret the world around you. Every worldview, every person has a worldview, and every worldview has to answer certain questions like where did we come from? Uh, why are we here? What is our purpose? How do we decide what is right and wrong, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. So, so far in our worldview series, what we've kind of been doing is building blocks, building a foundation. So, we talked the first message about God being the creator, that we don't believe in naturalism or materialism. We believe the universe was created by God with a purpose. So we believe creation and the creator are distinct. We're not pantheists. We don't worship creation, but we worship the creator God. We talked about the second message being created in the image of God, that life is valuable because it's given by God and it brings dignity to every human life. So we don't believe like the Nazis did, that there is such a thing as a life unworthy of life. That we can end life because it's not worthy of life. Every life has dignity because of who God is as our creator. The third message, we talked about the problem. Our sin and rebellion against God. Now, we don't believe people are born inherently good, but are born sinful. Therefore, we don't just follow our hearts. We don't believe in ourselves. We don't trust in ourselves because we're sinful. And so we need a Savior. We need someone to save us from our sins. And so last month, we, we talked about the cure Christianity offers that is not found anywhere else. That for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That by repentance turning from our sins, placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we can be saved from our sins and become new creations in Jesus Christ. So that is the foundation of our worldview. So you can think of those four categories of God, creation being made in the image of God, what's gone wrong in sin, and then the gospel, Christ coming to save us, as buckets. And pretty much everything you hear, every philosophy, every ideology, everything you hear you can process through one of those buckets to see if it stands up, if it's true or false. You can discern kind of is this, a, is this a good worldview or where does this worldview go different from the Christian and the biblical worldview. So tonight we're going to begin looking at different false worldviews and why they don't line up with a Christian worldview. And the first one we're looking at tonight is moral relativism, okay? I know that's a big word. I'm going to explain it to you, but maybe you can learn that word and you can impress others when you see it. Hopefully, you'll be able to identify it and you can say, you know, that's just moral relativism. 
You know, don't mispronounce it though. Don't say that's moral relativism. You know, that's not going to make you sound very smart. So it's moral relativism. Okay, open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to get to Exodus chapter 20 in just a few minutes. But I want to explain what moral relativism is, okay? So there is a lie today that is a false worldview that in the simplest form says that we can decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. It makes us the, the, the authority to decide what is right or wrong. It's called moral relativism. The way you'll see this is people will say things like, well, that's, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. Or, you know, what's right for you might not be right for me. Or they'll say like, well, I'm glad you believe that, but, but I don't believe that. I, I, I think something different, you know. Well, th- both those things cannot be true, okay. If something cannot be true for me and not be true for you. It's either true or it's false, And moral relativism is so prevalent today. I mean, it is the air we breathe. It's one of the strongest false beliefs affecting youth today. And it has devastating consequences, this false worldview does. A few years ago, pollster George Barna documented that only 22% of adults, so about one in five, and only 6% of teens affirmed the idea of moral absolutes, okay, that there are unchanging moral truths, okay, 22% of adults, 6% of teens, among Christian teens, only 10% believed in moral absolutes, one in 10, okay, that does not line up with Scripture, Uh, I think a great and succinct summary of moral relativism, I've talked about this before, comes from Elsa, sorry, in Frozen, when she sings, let it go. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Let it go, let it go. That perfect girl is gone. That is moral relativism. Okay, that, that is just... I just I read that little line from the song and I was like, that is a great summary of moral relativism, a false worldview. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That doesn't work out too well. We have a drawing. Uh, I had this come to mind just to help you understand moral relativism. And our own Maddie B designed this. So great uh, theological graphic design of worldview. It's maybe there's a niche there for you in the you know in the design category. So Uh, This is kind of, let me explain this to you. So, historically, all the way to the left is truth was seen as reality that we were to discover and find. And it was believed, and I think it was right to believe, that every person, or as I think his name is Phil, right? Every person who's Phil here, every person lives, and, and our job is not to... Um, create truth, our job is to discover the truth that we live into. Now, along the way, I'm going to tell you, talk about when that happened. They began to say, and philosophers began to say, well, truth is different 
uh, for different nations and different people. So truth must be a cultural thing. So every culture must decide what truth is. And so they said truth is cultural. So what's true for this country may not be true for the people who live over here. And they started breaking truth apart and saying there could be different truths for different groups of people. And that has morphed today into moral relativism, which is basically every person has their own truth. That's what they would say. I have a truth, and then you may have a different truth, and this person over here may have a completely different truth. And so, you know, the biblical worldview would say God is truth. God is the one who defines truth for us. And this is where we are today, where every person is trying to decide for themselves what is true. So, let me do a little brief history lesson of how we got here, okay? From the mid-1700s to the 1900s, we were in a period referred to as modernism. Uh, modernism was an embrace of scientific investigation. It was an embrace of technology. You had the industrial revolution. You had advancement in modern medicine. And the worldview perspective behind modernism was not a Christian worldview. Not that it was necessarily against Christianity, but it basically said that through reason and logic and through investigation and research, we can discover the truth about our planet, our universe, the galaxies, you know. And modernism fell into this lie where it believed that humanity was basically enthroned. And modernism began to disregard God or anything supernatural. They believed in human reason and intelligence, and through them we could solve the world's problems. And so they viewed the world through a naturalist lens. That truth could be discovered through science and research and study. That there was a natural explanation to everything. It was in this time period of modernism where evolution came along and Darwin came up with his theory. And and this was all a part of modernism. Well, what happened is, well, I would say a lot of people today still believe this. So a lot of people would still be modernists and believe, you know, there's a natural explanation for everything. But what happened was the 1900s comes along. And what happens with all this advancement and this technology and all these things we've invented and created is we had World War I and World War II. And we created amazing technology to kill each other. The, the deadliest century in the history of the world as far as humanity fighting against humanity. And so people started looking at all these advancements and they just thought this doesn't seem right you know, humanity, we, we, we've, we've mastered all these things. We've built these great cities. We've built, you know, railroads and invented the car, the automobile. And, and now we've invented tanks and more weapons and guns and the nuclear bomb, you know. And, and it's, not, it's not bearing good fruit. And so along comes postmodernism. And they started questioning modernism, saying, you know, this isn't really good. Postmodernism, you're going to hear this thrown around a lot today, just means after modernism okay it's just all it means is after modernism and postmodernism came along and it started critiquing uh, the way that science viewed the world as authoritative and what postmodernism started doing is it said well let's start critiquing any claims to truth any claims to knowledge. Let's, they, they critique. They were pretty universal in their critique. We'll critique science. We'll critique government. We'll critique Christianity. We'll critique Islam. We'll critique religion. We'll critique everything. 
And they basically came up with the philosophy of moral relativism, which is, you know, every person just has to decide for, them, for themselves what truth they want to live. And this was mainly in universities. It was at colleges. It was at Harvard and, and Princeton and schools like this. And it started infiltrating how people began to think. So truth, okay, here's where the, the change takes place. And this is important. Truth was no longer something out there, outside of me, that I had to discover or learn or find out about. You know, there was no longer revelation of truth. Truth was now something inside of me that I decide what it is. And when that change happened, when society and people started believing truth was no longer out there, but it was in here, that's how we got to moral relativism. Okay, let me give you one illustration uh, a person who, who made the shift, this may help you understand this, from modernism to postmodernism. Bill Nye, the science guy. You guys know who Bill Nye is, the science guy? So Bill Nye, the science guy, all right? He believes in science. He's a modernist. Um, some may remember watching him after school, school, teaching these cool science lessons. Well, Bill Nye, you know, a decade or so ago, did a clip on gender. And he was teaching how, how do we find out, you know, how do we become male or female? And he had a, a girl on the show, and here's the script from the episode. I'm a girl. Could have just as easily been a boy, though, because the probability of becoming a girl is always one in two. See, inside each of our cells are these things called chromosomes, and they control whether we become a boy or a girl. Your mom has two X chromosomes in all of her cells, and your dad has one X and one Y chromosome in each of his cells. Before you're born, your mom gives you one of her chromosomes, and your dad gives you one of his. Mom always gives you an X, and if dad gives you an X too, then you become a girl. But if he gives you his Y, then you become a boy. Okay, that's just common sense. We understand that through science. We understand that's the way God created things to be. Ten years ago, that was standard scientific knowledge. In 2017, Bill Nye did a new show on gender. So Bill Nye was a modernist. He's not a Christian. He's an atheist. But he, he switched his position. And in 2017, here was his lesson on gender. The world is wonderfully diverse. As scientists, we use the scientific method to try and understand that diversity. This is what is happening with the study of gender. Right now, biologists, sociologists, anthropologists, they're all trying to figure this out. And they are finding out that gender is on a spectrum. So no longer is gender decided by X chromosomes and Y chromosomes and mom and dad. Now gender is on a spectrum. And now we need anthropologists and biologists and sociologists. Okay, sociologists don't study chromosomes like that and which one we are, but they have to tell us now which gender we are. That's kind of the move from modernism to postmodernism, from science to critique, from, from knowing what things are to not understanding them. Okay, and Netflix actually deleted the clip from the old episode and took it off of Netflix once he changed what he was saying about gender because it wasn't politically correct anymore. So this, this is moral relativism. This is the world, this is the air we breathe. This is from the Mama Bear Apologetics book, this quote that the ladies are going through on Saturday mornings. I like this. It says, like emancipated minors 
The postmodernists proudly proclaim to God, science, and authority, you can't tell us what to do anymore. Postmodernists rejoice that nobody could declare that sex outside of marriage, abortion, or homosexuality were objectively immoral. However, what they didn't realize was that they also now prevented society from saying that unprovoked murder, torture, or slavery were objectively wrong. If there is no objective, absolute right or wrong, then no one can criticize or condemn any moral choices. No matter how evil, you can't call it evil. That's where we are today. And they, it's interesting because society still has some, some norms in some way, which I'm thankful for. But this is kind of where we're heading, where there's no objective truth. If everyone gets to decide what's right or wrong for themselves, then you can't tell anybody else that they're wrong for what they believe or what they do. And that is actually the greatest wrong you can do today in moral relativism is question someone else's morality, which puts us in a really hard place as Christians. And so what happens is, they talk about this in the Mama Bear Apologetics book, since everyone decides for themselves what truth is, we still have to structure our society in some way. So how do we decide what's right or wrong? And now, what decides what truth is, is our emotions. Emotions end up deciding who is right and who is wrong. And how do you express your emotions to, to, to make your truth be the one that's accepted by everybody? Well, you yell the loudest and you scream and you get furious and you just keep yelling until people agree with your truth. That's kind of helps you understand what's happening in our world a little bit. The goal, and actually the goal of moral relativism behind it, if you read the early authors of postmodernism and moral relativism, their goal was to end conflict. They, they kind of thought truth is dividing us and these people say this is true and these disagree. And so let's just get rid of truth and you just decide for yourself what's true and that will end all conflict. Well, it's not working out that way because when we're led by our emotions, uh, that can lead to a lot of conflict. You know, emotions are created by God to follow truth, not to lead truth. I love how they said this, emotions are great followers, but they are horrible leaders. And I totally agree with that. It made me think of Veruca Salt. Has anyone in here read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl? Okay, every hand should go up at that point. That Roald Dahl is by far my favorite children's author. We read all of his books. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has tons of lessons that are so beneficial. But you may remember in the book, or if you saw the movie, Veruca Salt, who is spoiled little girl. And she just, I want it now, daddy. You know, and yes, darling, whatever you want. And dad is just running around. And it's just, she's led by her emotions. And whatever she wants, she gets and Roald Dahl has a wonderful point that it doesn't work out very well for Veruca Salt as she tries to get the things from the squirrels, their nuts, and falls down the incinerator, you know, and it's not lit that day, so it's okay. But Veruca Salt is, I think, a great illustration of when everybody is focused on themselves and what they want, and I decide what's true, and you have to, you have to please me and what I think is true. We just all become Veruca salts, you know, demanding everything we want. And we see the sad consequences in the world around us today. I think a vivid picture of this appears in Oscar Wilde's book, The Portrait of Dorian Gray. 
Uh, Dorian Gray in this book, it's, it's kind of an older book, but it's really interesting. Dorian Gray is a wealthy man who has his portrait painted. And then he has his portrait uh, take his place in whatever moral choices he makes. And so he doesn't bear the consequences for this his painting does. And he begins to live in this moral depravity. And every time he does something, his painting begins to decay worse and worse and worse. And someone, I found this online, but someone kind of painted the story into a painting where Dorian Gray, eventually in the book, he looks at his painting one day and it's become so grotesque and so marred. And you can just see the blood-stained hands and how, how nasty he is. And Dorian Gray was so upset in what his painting had become that he ended up slashing it and throwing away because he couldn't to look at it himself. That's kind of what happens when we throw off moral norms and we just decide for ourselves whatever we want to do. That's moral relativism. So that was, I know, a big kind of history lesson, but it hopefully helps you understand the world around you a little bit, okay? For us, we're talking about a Christian worldview, okay? So we have to think this is what's going on around us, what's What's true for you might be true for you, but not for me. And then people are deciding for themselves what they want to be, what gender. And people are creating their own identity and their sexuality. And they're, they're saying, you have to agree with me or else you're, you're, you're you know, uh, a bigot and someone who hates others. So where do we as Christians, this is what I want to equip you guys in in the series, where, what bucket do we go to? Okay, where, where do we start? Well, number one, we go to the God bucket. We go to the very first message we did. We go back to God. He's the creator, right? God made us. I am not my own. I have been created by God with a purpose. God decides why we are here. God decides what is right and wrong. He assigns our gender. He decides what is okay in marriage, in our sexuality, in how we live. He decides. He tells us what's right and wrong. So when people begin saying what they think is right and what I think this is true for me and I think this is right, we as Christians have to go to the God bucket and say, no, that's not how the world works. That's not how I see the world. I see the world as a as a place created by a loving and sovereign and good God. And he put us here, so I think we got to ask him what's right and wrong. And we got to let him tell us what's right or wrong. And that's where Exodus 20 comes in. But there's a lot of scriptures we can go to. And I know we're 20 minutes in and we're just now hitting the text. But that was all intentional. But with all of that, look at Exodus 20 with me. Because we go to God's word and he tells us, here's what's right and wrong. Here's the norms. Okay, we as Christians, we're not moral relativists. We don't think morals are relative to us or the circumstance. We believe in moral absolutes. We're moral absolutists. We believe there is right and wrong that applies for all people at all times, under all circumstances, because we believe in a sovereign God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. You can't be pantheist. You can't worship creation. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. These are laws and moral norms that God gave his people. And it's important to look back at verse 2, okay? All of this is rooted in verse 2 when God says, I'm the Lord your God. I'm your God. I decide what's right or wrong. You are my people. I made you. I brought you. I've rescued you from slavery. If you've read through your Bible up to this point, you know, if you read through Genesis and Exodus, he's rescued them. He brought them to Mount Sinai. He's saying, this is what it means to live as my people. And I'm giving you these moral norms because I am the Lord, your God. We don't decide truth. And You know, uh, I think Christians sometimes can make the same mistake as our culture when we use, we say things like, well, you know, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. And I think sometimes our culture interprets that as like, oh, that's what you think is true, but that's not what I think is true. And I think as Christians, we have to grow in saying, and, and not just sharing what we think is right, because if you go back to that initial picture, As the culture interprets it, they're like, okay, that's your truth. You say that's what's true. I think this is true over here. That's fine. We can just agree to disagree. We have to come in and say, listen, God says that this is what the way it is to be. Marriage is between one man and one woman. That's what God says. God says homosexuality is sinful. Now, I'm not angry at you about that. I don't judge you. I'm not, I love you. I care for you. I want you to enjoy the good God has for you. I understand homosexuality because I'm born a sinner and I have tons of sinful tendencies. So it's not surprising to me. I can go to the sin bucket and it helps me understand what's going on there. But we have to be able to say, God says, God says this is what's true. I remember, um, a clip I showed to my worldview class in the co-op uh, from a Pierce Morgan episode uh, when he was leading a talk show and he had a woman on there who was uh, a homosexual and he had a Christian on there. It was really interesting. The woman was on stage with him and the Christian was kind of sitting down on the ground in the crowd and they kept going to the Christian and, and he was doing a really good job, I think, being humble and like, well, this is what I believe is true, you know, and he was using the I believe language. And what they kept asking the guy on the ground, the Christian, is, well, who are you? Who are you to say? And the woman kept asking him, who are you you to say who I can love? Who are you to tell me right from wrong? Who are you? And I just wanted the guy to say, he never did this, but I wanted the guy to say, me? I'm nobody. I'm not important at all. It doesn't matter what I say, but God, now that matters when God says something. You can disregard me. You can write me off. You can kick me off your show. I'm a nobody. I'm really not important in the grand scheme of things. But God, well, you're going to stand before him one day. And I think he had something to say about this. And I wish he had done that in that episode. We as Christians have to get better 
at coming back to moral truth and saying, God says this. Uh, And the first command in verse 3 in Exodus 20, you see, is you shall have no other gods before me. All the rest of the commands follow from this one command. So at the heart of this agreement, he says, I'm your Lord, I'm your God. Number one, you're not to worship anything above me. So I'm the Lord of your life. Uh, I am sovereign. I'm the king of your life. You come and you listen and you follow me as your leader. And then all the other commands follow from that command of following God. Jesus summarized the law like this. When the Pharisees said, what is the great commandment? In Matthew 22, he said, the great, you know, what's the great command? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is basically the rest of those commands. You're not to covet, you're not to steal, you're not to lie, you're not to commit adultery, you know, you're not to murder. Jesus said, if you get angry in your heart, that's like murdering your brother. We're not to get angry at each other. We're not to lust after one another because it's unloving to do those things. So the great ethic Jesus gives us is loving God. So we, we enjoy God, we love God, we want to follow God. It's a blessing for God to tell us this is what's right and wrong. God puts us in a family with parents who help us understand this is right and this is wrong. When you lie, that's wrong, you know? Like, better to humble yourself and repent than be a liar. They they, they give us moral norms, and that's God's goodness in our lives when he tells us how we are to live as his creation. God gave us the law because he is our king, and it reflects his character. There's another thing that happens when we as Christians hear moral relativism in our society, in Frozen songs, on TV shows, when we talk to people, and you're going to run across people like this, and we talk to them, and we, instead of saying, well, I think or I believe, we say, well, I really go to God's word, and I submit to what God says. And this is what God says about that. When we do that, and we take people to God's law, The New Testament says that the law is like a schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. So it's really hard to share the gospel with people nowadays if they don't think they've done anything wrong. So if we lose the God bucket and we lose that we're created in the image of God bucket and we don't start there, then when we get to the sin bucket, in moral relativism, there is no such thing as sin because I'm the arbiter, I'm the decider of what's right and wrong, so... The only way I can sin, which is what our culture is saying right now, is to go against what I feel. So if I feel this way, to go against what I feel is the only bad thing I can do since I decide what's right and wrong. And our culture believes that lie. And we have to come and say, well, no, God says this. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so God's law, when we use it and we go to God's law, and we hold up moral absolutes as coming from our God and our creator, it gives us an opportunity to tell people, hey, you've sinned against a holy God. I have too. I'm with you. I'm in the same boat as you are. Not better than you. I'm not superior to you. I'm a sinner. And I've come to God's law. And we can read the Ten Commandments ourselves. And we could have you raise your hands tonight. I've done this before. I used to do this on campus all the time. And everybody raises their hand every time because we all break God's law and it leads us to our need for a savior. And so if we can go to God's word 
And we can have a Christian worldview, and we got the God bucket, and we have the sin bucket, and God's law shows people that they have sinned against a holy God. Then we can tell them the good news of, yes, but God sent his only son because he loves you so much. What you're looking for, what you're searching for, I'm telling you, you're not going to find it anywhere else outside of God, your creator. And he sent his own son to die for your sins. And sadly, that message does not make any sense to our moral relativists. Because they don't think they're sinners. They don't think they're going to be judged by God. And so that's where Exodus 20, the law of God, comes in. This is what Vody Bauckham says. He says, we're going to end on this. He says, there has perhaps never been a better time to see and proclaim the supremacy of Christ, particularly in the area of truth. It is against the backdrop of this culture that calls evil good and good evil, where sin is celebrated and righteousness is mocked, that the Christ of truth shines most brightly. I totally agree. I think the darker our culture gets, the more away from truth our culture goes. Man, it is an opportunity. And there's two things I want to encourage you in to close. Okay, number one, it's an opportunity to share the gospel with your friends. And you can't just say, Christ died for your sins. I wish that was, you know, that is the gospel and that is true. But you have to back up a little bit and you have to go back to the God bucket and understanding who God is and and he's our creator and it helps explain everything in our universe. It all makes sense because of him. You have a great opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who need it so desperately. And I, and I, I had more stats in here I didn't get to, but man, Rates of anxiety, depression, suicide, they are going through the roof. I mean, psychiatrists, sociologists, they they are just scratching their heads saying, what is going on here? And we as Christians say, I know exactly what's going on. Veruca salt is on the loose everywhere, you know, and it doesn't satisfy. Um, and, And we can come and share the gospel with people and bring them hope and the good news. Number two, the second thing I want to say to the to the teens here especially is your godliness matters so much. Um, I don't want that to sound legalistic. I don't want that to sound, you know, like you have to perform to get yourself right with God because we know that's not true. We're saved by grace, but God saves us to walk in the good works he prepared for us. And you can go to texts like Ephesians 4 where it talks about putting to death your sin and living in the good of the gospel. And what happens is, If you can resist worldliness, if you can resist conforming to the culture around you, which is so dark, when you look just like them and you you act like them and you do all the same things, it doesn't show anything about the reality of what we believe about moral absolutes. So when we believe this and we go to God's word, we ourselves have to submit to it and we have to say, you know, I want, I want my marriage to be a witness to the reality of what Jesus Christ has done. I want, I want people to see a person who follows God and worships God. And he is the Lord my God. And I'm going to have no other gods before him. And so my holiness, my godliness matters. And when I'm happy and I'm joyful 
and I'm enjoying the Lord, when I'm trusting Him through trials, um, when I'm living as a Christian, I believe it's going to give us a lot of opportunities in our culture. And people are going to say, what do you have? Something is different about you because I'm hearing all this and I'm going down this path and man, it is not making me happy. Why are you so happy? Well, I'll tell you, it's God. You know, he's my creator. I worship him. I love him. He sent his son to die for me. It gives us an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So, moral relativism, bad, okay? Moral absolutes, good, rooted in God's word. And we're going to have, we have a few minutes left um, to talk about this. So, we're running a little out of time um, because you guys got a little too violent with the game earlier. But I want to have a little discussion time. So we've got about seven minutes, a little short. But I always say this. These questions are just a kickstart to get you talking about this. Uh, it, it's, you know, you hear this tonight and I have to think about this stuff and go back over it. So really I want you guys talking about it at dinner, talk about it at breakfast, talk about it on car drives, you know. Uh, we're going to put the message on the website. You can listen to it again because I need to go back through it myself, you know. But three questions to kind of kickstart your conversation tonight. So in your own words, how would you define moral relativism? What is it? Where have you seen it around you in movies, conversations, school, etc.? So what is it? Number two, why is believing in God foundational for everything else why is believing in God foundational for deciding what is right or wrong? And then if you get to number three, you might not, but look through Exodus 20. Uh, are there any of the commandments you're confused about? How would you say you measure up to God's law? And how do you think G Jesus measured up? So we have seven minutes for a discussion as families. Just You can stay in your seats, and then uh, I'm going to pray, and I have some directions for us for the game afterwards. So get talking, and I'll pray in a few moments.